Welcome to the discussion, Developing the Future Cyber Federal Workforce, sponsored by Dakota State University. Here's today's moderator, Drew Friedman. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us. My guest today is Dr. Jose Marie Griffiths. She's the president of Dakota State University. Dr. Griffiths, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Drew. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So let's talk about cybersecurity. We know it's a rapidly developing field, even in just the past couple of years, the skills that cyber professionals need have maybe changed a lot. So what do you see right now as some of the most critical cyber skills uh, for the the public sector specifically? Well, I think, uh, you know, clearly there are technical skills in both cyber offense and cyber defense that uh, students need to know whichever one they're going to specialize in. Perhaps the most important skills that differentiate one job candidate perhaps from another are what people call the soft skills, but I call them the power skills because they're the ones that get you the job or not. So they're things like uh, ability to communicate both in written form as well as um, in oral form. I think report writing becomes something that a lot of people have to do um, once they're uh, engaging in work, they have to write reports about it. Um, And... Uh, We also think the uh, ability to work in teams and play your role within the team. Um, And I think those become very important. I also think that as we're moving forward from the point we have today, our young people also need to understand the capabilities and potential of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, as we know, is everywhere, but it will play a role increasingly in cybersecurity. So giving our students some understanding of how and when they can use machine learning and other artificial intelligence tools in securing uh, other systems will be will be beneficial in the long term. And at Dakota State University, DSU, what are some of the ways that you're helping students develop these uh, soft skills of cyber or power skills, as you call them? How, how do you get uh, students or encourage young professionals to kind of, you know, see those as important skills in cyber? Um, a number of different ways, Drew. We'd like to um, think of ourselves that the culture of this institution is um, to be is innovative. And so we want people to try things and fail and learn from failure and then build up to successes. So we do uh, give our students a lot of practical applications. We have a lab that allows them to play around, allows the faculty to create different simulations so that the students actually have to go in and, you know, and find flaws in systems, find malware, uh, deconstruct it, um, reverse engineer it, and so on. But then we also do what we call um, what are called high impact uh, practices in education. So internships, apprenticeships, uh, we involve our undergraduate students in research that gives them a totally different set of skills, by the way, that are also very helpful in the workplace, particularly in terms of uh, looking at problems and decomposing problems and coming up with solutions. And then uh, the other thing that is very important for our students, and they love doing it, are competitions. So when you're when you're in competitions, you're on teams, you have to learn, you have to train, you have to practice, you represent your institution. So that notion of agency comes in so they can then represent the company or the government agency they're in. So all of those additional pieces that are wrapped around the, the core classroom environment uh, really help students build that, that broader portfolio of skills in the long run. And then, then they can demonstrate that portfolio to prospective employers as well. And when they're at the tail end of their studies and kind of getting into the fields, are there differences you see between, you know, someone who's going into the public sector into uh, federal work versus someone in the private sector? Is there a difference in, you know, either 
how the students um, are interested, how or why the students are interested in that, or, um, you know, what some of the skills they might need for those are? Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a very important question. And one that I think that the federal government is looking at, how can they get more workers um, as a lot of people go off into the private sector? I think our students really want to do interesting things. Um, it's sort of cool to go to a major IT company, you know, Google or Microsoft and Amazon, that's great. Or go to one of the big um, uh, cybersecurity companies, Palo Alto or Fortinet or some of the others. But I do think that the advantage the corporate sector has over the federal sector is the speed at which they move. So I mentioned internships. A lot of our students uh, eventually are hired by the organizations in which they have internships. So one thing the government can do is to offer more internships for students um, and perhaps remote internships. You know, here we sit in South Dakota in the middle of the country. We can't have everybody all the time be going to one of the coasts um, to do internships. So I think um, that's a real opportunity. Um, I could say, are some students driven by salaries? Probably. Um, but I think that's an initial thing. I think eventually they're also interested in uh, lifestyle and why they come back to this part of the world to some extent. And then many of them, if they understood the federal sector more and understood the mission or the missions of various federal agencies, I think they'd be more mission driven. So what we're trying to do is trying to expose students, not just to the corporate sector, but also to the government sector. So they understand the special mission that exists there. I really liked what you said about, you know, how internships can often turn into full-time positions. That is a really huge deal. That's really important having someone in the door in the front end and then some that turns into an employee that you're going to have at least for a couple of years, maybe longer. So I guess once interns or once these young professionals turn into those full-time employees after an internship, how do um, how should agencies or you know employers in general keep them in the door? What are some things that an employer can offer that can help um, you know retain employees for the long run? I think um, well, we know that many of our students have job offers before they finish. So giving a student a job offer or a potential job offer, um, let's say at the end of their summer uh, in junior year before they go into their senior year, would be advantageous. Um, that's when a lot of our students have job offers, but also during the year. I think, you know, students start to get um, quite anxious uh, in the second part of their senior year. So if they get through the holidays and they come back in January and, you know, it's a quick ride then to May and their graduation. Um, so I think that's one. Um, I think also to let students know not just the first job offer, but the longer term career opportunities that exist, the kinds of additional opportunities they might have. So in the way that we're looking at these high impact practices for education, perhaps sort of some high impact practices for retention of workers would come into play. So is there ongoing training? What are those opportunities? Is there, are there opportunities to engage with other people perhaps on an innovative project for a while? Um, are there ways for um, people perhaps even to continue to participate in competitions? Um, several of our graduates are now competing as alumni in some of the national competitions. So I think those things that engage our students are going to be the things that will continue to engage them longer term. And is there also something to be said for the role of cybersecurity uh, scholarships or other incentives that can kind of bring in more early career talent in the federal space? 
Yes, absolutely. Those are very, very important and very competitive. So we have the CyberCore Scholarship for Service, which has been very successful here. Um, those students do very well. They go out to Washington for the career fairs. So they get an early exposure to the multiple agencies rather than waiting for the agencies to come here to campus, which they do as well. Um, they get to meet other people in, the, uh, in that scholarship course. So you're the building community by simply um, going to going to Washington uh, together and then meet at people from other institutions. Um, so I think that's important. And I think um, there have been uh, recommendations on the government expanding those scholarships for service. Um, the CyberCore ones, which are offered through NSF, um, DOD has some uh, scholarship for service programs as well. But it's a, it's a great idea because um, the fact that students have to have a service component means that they're going to have a job. So even uh, if they do uh, initially are um, working in internships, uh, let's say summer internships in the federal government in Washington, D.C. or the greater, greater area there, we do see some of those students go into state government and some into tribal government as well. So that gives, gives them an opportunity to stay nearby or in the region should they wish to do that. Also. And I want to go back. Um, you mentioned also training a, a minute ago as well. So. Um, in that sense, do you see employers or uh, federal agencies, I guess, specifically as offering training in, you know, where it needs to be? You, you mentioned, um, you know, the idea of soft skills in cyber. Is that something that you've seen um, in or from employers as well? Or is the training more focused on um, these more hard skills? There's a combination, but I do think um, that there's a tendency to focus on the hard skills and what's new and coming along, um, which, you know, so that you have those technical skills available to you in a, in a, in a, a reasonable, timely manner. The softer skills, as I said, they're called soft skills, and that's why I don't call them soft skills anymore. If we called them power skills, there might be more attention on them. I do know that some uh, corporations, and um, I would hope some agencies also um, recognize um, people in this field with uh, neurodiverse uh, ways of learning and ways of working. Uh, programs like that for adults, neurodiverse adults, can be extremely helpful. Um, We've done work with Microsoft and with Google because they have special programs and they assign mentors to those young people coming in. Um, I think that's a good opportunity because a lot of neurodiverse people, and they aren't necessarily um, actually on the spectrum, but exhibit some of the behaviors of those people. Um, it just gives them an extra, um, an extra context for the work they do, and then they feel they belong and they can participate. So I think that's an opportunity that's available and it goes with those power skills, if you like, because they're not manifested in quite the same way in uh, in neurodiverse populations. No, I think that that's a really interesting point. Um, you know, something that the government we know has been focusing on is diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility and bringing that a lot more into the federal workforce. But the neurodiversity angle is, is really interesting as well there. Um, do you see, I guess, DEIA, those four sectors as being uh, you know, key to or central to uh, bringing in these this early career talent as well? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, in, in some respects, I think we've gone backwards. I mean, I've been involved for many, many throughout my career in trying to encourage young women to go into STEM and then moved on to looking at young women and minorities. Um, we made some progress in the 80s and early 90s, and we've gone backwards. So the number of, uh, for example, young women going into the computing related the disciplines in university has, has gone back to 1995 levels, unfortunately. Um, so we really have to encourage more young people to come in. Uh, we've developed a program here at the university 
Uh, we did a pilot program for a number of years. We would have accelerated it, but COVID hit. Uh, but it's called, now called the Governor's Cyber Academy. And it's an online two-year program for uh, high school juniors and seniors to get college credit in the various uh, cyber disciplines, computer science, digital forensics, artificial intelligence, et cetera, while they're in high school. And they can carry those credits directly in. So effectively, if they complete the program, they'll have a full year of college once they come in. And because we go out to the high schools and because we're doing all sorts of additional high impact practices um, in the high schools by creating community for these young people, um, and we're creating the notion of houses that are just sort of like in Harry Potter and British schools belong to a house. And uh, you compete then as houses and you do things together as houses. And we think that will encourage a much broader spectrum of young people to think of careers in these areas. Uh, they don't have to come to Dakota State they don't have to work in cybersecurity or take a career there, but they will have credentials they'll be able to carry forward. So in addition to their academic credit and high school credit, we'll be giving them digital certificates, digital badges, digital certificates that will go on their resume. So reaching out sooner and building the pipeline is, is going to be important. My guest today is Dr. Jose Marie Griffiths, the president of Dakota State University. I'm your moderator, Drew Friedman, and we're discussing how to develop the future federal cyber workforce, sponsored by Dakota State University on Federal News Network. The future of cyber lies where you'd least expect it. A powerhouse on the plains, Dakota State University. As an NSA Center of Academic Excellence, DSU is changing cyber education one degree at a time. We're bringing AI and all things cyber to the world, closing the workforce gap and encouraging more women and minorities to get started. Visit dsucyber27.com to learn more and find ways to partner. Dakota State University. Welcome back to our discussion on developing the future federal cyber workforce sponsored by Dakota State University on Federal News Network. My guest today is Dr. Jose Marie Griffiths, the president of Dakota State University, and I'm your moderator, Drew Friedman. Dr. Griffiths, before the break, we were discussing, you know, developing these skills really early on um, for whether it be for cyber or anything else, looking at high schools or early ways to kind of develop or get students thinking about those skills. So I wanted to ask um, as well, you know, I think it made me think of something where, you know, when you get into um, the workforce, traditionally you have this sense or in the past, there's been this idea that you start a career and you stay in it, uh, one job for 30 years. That's really no longer the case. A lot of people move around. So do you see, um, you know, is that something that at, at DSU, you kind of encourage students to look at different career paths and how have you seen, I guess, the um, cybersecurity field shift over time in that sense? Um, good question. Thank you. Um, it's, it's shifted quite a lot since the early 2000s when uh, really there was this focus on information assurance and it was a business function, right? So businesses wanted to protect their data. And we moved from that into the to then network security and then uh, into cyber offense, uh, which we call cyber operations, and then cyber defense. So I think that uh, giving students an opportunity to understand that cybersecurity isn't a single discipline anymore. I think we we have seven degree programs from associates to PhDs in the various disciplines of cybersecurity. So one is we need to give our students an understanding there are lots of different ways 
that you can contribute and participate in the cybersecurity sector. It's not a single thing. Secondly, now we can begin to tell students, you know, there are other tools we're going to start using to help us in the cybersecurity world. And that would be things like artificial intelligence, machine learning, as that comes along, they'll be using that. So students are always interested in what's new, especially students in this field, right? What's the latest thing? Can I do it? And they like to, uh, to create those challenges for themselves. So I think increasingly, um, the federal sector needs to put it out there that a lot of people think of the federal government in particular, big bureaucracy, but you've got lots of agencies and you're doing lots of interesting things. And I don't think that all academic institutions have really done a good job of exposing our students to the federal sector. Um, we typically would have, uh, as I say, a lot of companies will want to come and recruit our students and they're quite voracious about doing that. We get the obvious places, the big national labs will come. But typically, we don't see a lot of agencies coming and saying, here we are, This we have jobs, you can have a career here, and you can have a very good career. The way to do that, I think, is for agencies to begin to connect with universities, perhaps through these educational partnership agreements. We have two of them right now, one with the National Security Agency and one with the Army Cyber, with the Army. And that allows us to exchange resources. But what that does is that allows our faculty to go meet people in the agencies to find out what kinds of work you're doing to, so that they can bring back you know, practical examples to the students. And the best way to get your students interested is through the faculty. We will invite people come and speak in a class on a topic that relates to your areas of interest for recruiting. And then we recommend, you know, have a little reception and have some pizza and the students will flock to you and they will come and find out what's going on. So we don't wait till their senior year to talk to students about careers. We start the moment they arrive, having them think about themselves, their capabilities, the kinds of things they might do, having them explore different options. And then gradually, um, as they move towards, as I say, particularly the summer of their junior year, they're often doing an internship somewhere and really starting to think about what the long-term future is. The other thing that I think is very important and COVID sort of taught us in a way, you can do a lot of this work remotely. I don't recommend that people do all of their work remotely and only start remotely because I think for young people, it's important for them to be socialized into the environment of the organization that they're working for. But over time, in many of those positions, they might be able to work remotely. And then we have those very special uh, opportunities um, where people have to be in a particular place because they need access to a secure facility to actually do the kind of work they have to do. And then they have to go to a certain location. But all those options are available to uh, students from around the country. And I want to go back to uh, something that you mentioned where you were kind of describing how uh, different employers or a couple of agencies will come and you know meet with students, meet with faculty. Um, when you have students come into the university from the student perspective, how do they view the the federal government and that type of work? And is that something that, you know, when they have those conversations, at least in the partnerships that you do have, that um, does that change how they see federal government work? I think it does. They, they are exposed to people who are coming back and forth um, because we're doing uh, research and other things with, with those agencies. Um, but they get a feel, they get exposed to that. One of the things that I think is one of the biggest surprises for students, particularly as we now have our relationship with Army Cyber, is you don't have to be in the military to work for Army Cyber. 
Um, there are civilian jobs as well as military jobs. And so um, it's always good when we have people visiting that we have a combination of people in uniform and out of uniform to say, yeah, we still work for those agencies and uh, we can, can do interesting things. The other thing for our students is for the agencies that are particularly involved in cybersecurity, they need other people too. They need graduates of business. They need graduates in uh, artificial intelligence. They need graduates in the arts and sciences. Um, and so we're hoping that as we increasingly work with federal agencies and bring them to campus, and the same thing with state agencies as well, but have them come to campus to recognize lots of different opportunities. And what we're going to try and do, I think, is get students to understand the missions, the different missions of different parts of the government, different, different agencies at the state level, and um, try and encourage them to think about careers in the public sector, not just the private sector. I think um, if you look at the job numbers in cybersecurity from CyberSeq any, on any particular day, right, it's 650 to 700,000 vacancies in cybersecurity on that day. I think the federal government alone accounts for about 35,000 of those. So there are a lot of jobs in a lot of places. And so in a way, students coming out with these skill sets and these additional high impact practices that give them power skills, they can be very successful. I should let you know, Basically, we have a 99.7% placement rate for our students, and a large number, as I've mentioned, have job offers before they finish their the summer of uh, uh, summer of their junior year. So you have to get in quickly. So a longer term relationship is good. One other suggestion, um, which I haven't mentioned before, we have a lot of student clubs: computer club, offensive cybersecurity club, defensive cybersecurity club. Uh, we have um, eSports club, we have uh, cyber games teams. Think about coming in and sponsoring a club or just making a connection that way. That would give students another way to have somebody to ask questions of. And in our cyber academy, we, are, we will be looking for people to, um, practitioners in the field to, in a way, be mentors for a class of students. So even, even our young uh, high school juniors and seniors can be exposed to the kinds of work and the kinds of opportunities that exist in government and the corporate sector. Right. And there are so many different types of opportunities, right? Even between, even within an agency, even within one uh, employer, you have a lot of different, you know, roles or types of positions. And something that I've, you know, seen a shift in recently, at least in government, is this idea of a rotational program where you can spend six months in a different program when you have a full-time job with one agency. Is that something that uh, you think could attract uh, more early career talent and these young professionals uh, in cybersecurity? I, I think so. I think they look for variety. I think that appeals to them to not be stuck doing the same thing every single day with the same people. I also think international opportunities and federal government sometimes can offer that. Sometimes even in the internships in the summer, we've had students go overseas to work on something. Um, so it's just a question of the, the, the university having the relationship, the faculty understanding, come to campus, visit, talk to students, and um, just give them an opening. Our students are really, uh, you know, they're sponges. They're very eager. Um, they're fairly mature th these days as they come. And they ask really good questions. So I think if campuses can open their world to government and not just to the big tech companies of the world, then we will be able to get more people out into the public sector as well as the private sector. And 
just wrapping up here, if agencies were to see this and take one thing away from our conversation today, what would you want them to know about how to recruit early career cyber talent? I think uh, uh, connections, making the connection and networking becomes all important. It's all about meeting that person and, and making a connection. I'd like to thank my guest today, Dr. Jose Marie Griffiths, the president of Dakota State University. I'm your moderator, Drew Friedman, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Dakota State University. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Developing the Future Federal Cyber Workforce, sponsored by Dakota State University on Federal News Network.